You're in your family medicine clinic seeing Bridget Ross, a 16-year-old girl who developed symptoms of an acute gastroenteritis with vomiting and watery diarrhea two days ago. The next night, she was startled to see that her urine was dark brown. She showed her parents, who brought her in to see you this morning. Her vomiting and diarrhea are improving, and her urine is the color of iced tea. Bridget denies other symptoms and does not recall this ever happening before. An in-office urine dipstick demonstrates large blood and trace protein. As you prepare to discuss your diagnostic impression with Bridget and her parents, you wonder, what additional diagnostic testing should be pursued to confirm your suspicions, and what monitoring and treatment is needed to optimize Bridget's kidney function? Consider your answer as we begin this next episode. Welcome to AudioBricks. I'm Adam Weinstein, bringing nephrology from our bricks to your ears. And let's get started demonstrating how kids are not little adults. After completing this episode, you'll be able to, one, define IgA nephropathy and IgA vasculitis, including their epidemiology. Two, describe the clinical presentation of IgA nephropathy and IgA vasculitis. Three, explain the pathophysiology of IgA nephropathy and IgA vasculitis. Four, explain how IgA nephropathy and IgA vasculitis are diagnosed. And five, outline how IgA nephropathy and IgA vasculitis are managed and discuss their prognosis. Part one, what are IgA nephropathy and IgA vasculitis? IgA nephropathy and IgA vasculitis are both causes of glomerulonephritis that share some common renopathophysiology. IgA nephropathy, previously called Berger disease, is one of the most common causes of glomerulonephritis worldwide and is the most common cause of glomerulonephritis-induced end-stage renal disease. IgA nephropathy results from the deposition of immunoglobulin A, or IgA, antibody immune complexes in the glomerular mesangium. IgA is the antibody that protects our mucous membranes, like our respiratory and gastrointestinal tract, so IgA nephropathy often presents an association with infections of these organ systems, such that IgA production has been stimulated. While the effects of IgA nephropathy are limited to the kidneys, children may develop a related disorder, IgA vasculitis, formerly called henoch schonlein purpura, that impacts the kidneys, skin, joints, and gastrointestinal tract. The disease is most common in children ages 4 to 7 years of age, but it can affect people of all ages. Vasculitis is inflammation of the blood vessels, and IgA vasculitis is a type of small vessel vasculitis that arises because of IgA deposition in these vessels. IgA vasculitis often occurs in flares after infections, such as upper respiratory infections. And now for a question break. What is the major difference between IgA nephropathy and IgA vasculitis? IgA nephropathy presents as an isolated disease of the kidney, whereas IgA vasculitis impacts the kidneys, skin, joints, and or gastrointestinal tract. Part two, how do patients with IgA nephropathy and IgA vasculitis present? IgA nephropathy and IgA vasculitis present quite differently, as IgA nephropathy is limited to the kidneys, whereas IgA vasculitis has multi-organ system effects. IgA nephropathy also may present in a number of ways. In many adults, it may be detected asymptomatically and diagnosed based on urinalysis ordered for another reason. 
In children and young adults, IJ nephropathy more commonly presents with intermittent and recurrent episodes of gross hematuria, often concurrent with a viral respiratory tract infection or a diarrheal illness. This should be compared with post-streptococcal glomerulonephritis, which most often presents weeks after a streptococcal infection. These recurrent episodes of IgA nephropathy typically improve and resolve on their own shortly after the respiratory or gastrointestinal illness resolves. This often fully resolves without long-term sequelae. Hmm, I hope this could be the case for our patient, Bridget. Occasionally, IgA nephropathy presents as a more severe glomerulonephritis with hypertension and edema in addition to the gross hematuria. Least commonly, but sometimes present, is a rapidly progressive glomerulonephritis with acute kidney injury. Adults who have had long-standing IgA nephropathy may experience a more chronic progression with persistent microscopic hematuria in between relapses and persistent and progressive hypertension and or proteinuria. Adults developing such a pattern, unless treated, will slowly and progressively lose kidney function over time. On the other hand, with IgA vasculitis, it typically presents more acutely. It is more common in children, either during or shortly after a viral infection. Patients with IgA vasculitis present with palpable purpura, which present as raised red or purple patches on the skin resulting from damaged blood vessels. The patches commonly occur in gravity-dependent areas of the lower legs and buttocks. And they also present with at least one of the following three additional findings, arthritis, abdominal pain, sometimes accompanied by bloody stools, and or glomerulonephritis. And now for another question break. What signs and symptoms may be present in IgA vasculitis? A palpable purpura, most often on the legs and buttocks, glomerulonephritis, arthritis, and abdominal pain are the presenting signs and symptoms seen in IgA vasculitis. Part 3. What is the pathophysiology of IgA nephropathy and IgA vasculitis? IgA nephropathy and IgA vasculitis have the common pathophysiology of IgA deposition in the glomerular mesangium. In IgA vasculitis, IgA also deposits in small blood vessels in the skin, joints, and small intestine, causing disease in multiple organs, which is typical of vasculitis. IgA is normally produced in mucosal lining lymphoid tissue, which is why the diseases often present concurrent with an upper respiratory or gastrointestinal tract infection. However, note that the upper respiratory or GI infection does not cause the glomerular disease directly. Rather, activation of the immune system to produce IgA and the IgA deposition in the glomeruli leads to the glomerular inflammatory reaction. The exact cause of IgA nephropathy and IgA vasculitis are unknown. One theory relates to a particular way that the IgA molecules are glycosylated, leading to deposition in the glomeruli rather than normal excretion and elimination after the IgA has done its job. This deposition of immune complexes then sets up an inflammatory reaction involving cytokines and complement activation that eventually damages the glomeruli, causing glomerulonephritis. Some populations, such as those with East Asian ancestry, have high IgA deposition in their glomeruli even without any signs of renal disease. This suggests that IgA deposition alone is not sufficient to cause IgA nephropathy. However, the additional factors that cause the disease are not yet known. The renal pathologic findings in both disorders includes expansion of the glomerular mesangium, which is the region where the IgA immune complexes are deposited. On light microscopy, it is possible to see glomerular mesangial cell proliferation and mesangial expansion. 
Immunofluorescence imaging show IgA-based deposits in the mesangium in a granular pattern. The deposition is predominantly IgA, even though IgG and other factors may also be involved in immune complex formation. Electron microscopy shows the mesangial IgA immune deposits in more ultraspectral detail. If there is more tubular atrophy and interstitial fibrosis present on light microscopy, this suggests a worse long-term prognosis. And now for another question. What is the composition of immune complexes seen in IgA nephropathy? The deposition primarily consists of IgA molecules, although IgG and other factors may also be present in these immune complexes. IgA vasculitis has the same granular mesangial IgA deposits seen in IgA nephropathy, but often with more severe mesangial proliferation and sometimes crescent formation. In the skin and other organ systems, the term leukocytoclastic vasculitis is the general histologic term for this inflammation, referring to small blood vessels with inflammation and surrounding debris from infiltrating neutrophils. Polymorphonuclear cells surround and enter the vessel wall. Part 4. How do we diagnose IgA nephropathy and IgA vasculitis? Unlike some other nephritic diseases, there is no classic diagnostic serology test for IgA nephropathy or IgA vasculitis. Serum IgA levels are sometimes high in 30 to 40% of patients, but are not reliable nor typically used as a routine test due to its poor sensitivity and specificity. In patients with mild, intermittent gross hematuria and normal renal function, IgA nephropathy is diagnosed based on clinical history and a urinalysis that reveals hematuria during flare-ups concurrent with respiratory or GI tract illness, and spontaneous resolution between flares. In patients with more significant proteinuria or in patients with worsening creatinine levels, a renal biopsy is performed and is the only definitive test for IgA nephropathy. IgA vasculitis is diagnosed based on its characteristic clinical findings of palpable purpura together with one or more of glomerulonephritis, arthritis, and or abdominal pain. Biopsy of the skin is rarely needed to make the diagnosis. In cases of severe glomerulonephritis with acute kidney injury or a concurrent nephrotic syndrome, a renal biopsy is done to assess the extent of the renal pathology, determine how aggressively to treat it, and have a more informed prognosis. All right, question break. How does the diagnostic process differ between IgA nephropathy and IgA vasculitis? IgA vasculitis is diagnosed based on the characteristic combination of clinical findings, whereas IgA nephropathy can only be confirmed diagnostically by renal biopsy. Part 5. How do we manage IgA nephropathy and IgA vasculitis? There is no specific treatment for IgA nephropathy. Patients with persistent proteinuria and or hypertension should be given angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors or angiotensin-2 receptor blockers to slow disease progression. High-risk patients with acutely declining GFR and or heavy proteinuria, for example, greater than 1 gram per 24 hours, are sometimes treated with corticosteroids plus or minus other immunomodulators with variable success. Treatment for the vasculitic symptoms of IgA vasculitis is usually supportive because the symptoms often resolve on their own. Patients are usually encouraged to maintain hydration and provide symptomatic pain control for joint and abdominal pain using acetaminophen or non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Those with glomerulonephritis should be managed without non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. 
Corticosteroids, such as prednisone, are reserved for patients with severe abdominal pain or very severe glomonophritis, for example, those presenting with acute kidney injury and or with nephrotic syndrome. Many patients with IgA nephropathy have a spontaneously resolving or stable course without progression. Approximately one-third of patients have persistent proteinuria and or hypertension, which are poor prognostic signs for ultimately a slow decline in GFR if left untreated. Most children with IJ vasculitis will have a full spontaneous resolution within two to three months. A small subset of patients who present with severe glomerulonephritis may develop a more chronic glomerular injury and scarring if not treated at the time of presentation. If treated and the patient responds well to treatment, prognosis for these patients may also be quite excellent. Let's finish off with one more question. What is the treatment for IGA vasculitis? IGA vasculitis is mainly treated with supportive care, including maintaining hydration and pain control with acetaminophen or non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. For cases of severe abdominal pain or severe glomerulonephritis, corticosteroids are given. And that's all I have today for IGA nephropathy and IGA vasculitis. So let's see if we've completed our goals for this episode. Can you define IgA nephropathy and IgA vasculitis, including their epidemiology? IgA nephropathy and IgA vasculitis are immune-mediated glomerular diseases that cause glomerulonephritis. IgA nephropathy is the most common glomerulonephritis in adults worldwide, and in a subset of patients can progress to chronic kidney disease and end-stage kidney disease. IgA vasculitis is a small vessel vasculitis that presents with renal findings similar to those of IgA nephropathy and is more common in young children. Next, can you describe the clinical presentation of IgA nephropathy and IgA vasculitis? Both disorders may present with macroscopic hematuria in relatively young patients concurrent with respiratory and GI tract infections. Adults with IgA nephropathy may later present with persistent microscopic hematuria and progressive proteinuria and hypertension. Children with IgA vasculitis have characteristic purpura accompanied by one or more of glomerulonephritis, arthritis, and or abdominal pain. Can you explain the pathophysiology of IgA nephropathy and IgA vasculitis? IgA nephropathy and IgA vasculitis involve deposition of IgA immune complexes in the glomerular mesangium. In IgA vasculitis, there's also IgA deposition in small blood vessels of the skin, joints, and small intestine. The leukocytoclastic vasculitis seen in IgA vasculitis involves white blood cells infiltrating small blood vessel walls. Next, can you explain how IgA nephropathy and IgA vasculitis are diagnosed? There is no classic diagnostic serology test for IgA nephropathy or IgA vasculitis. In patients with mild, intermittent, gross hematuria, and normal renal function, IgA nephropathy is diagnosed based on clinical history and a urinalysis that reveals hematuria with resolution in between episodes. In patients with persistent proteinuria or worsening renal function, renal biopsy is needed to confirm a diagnosis of IgA nephropathy, as a biopsy showing IgA deposits in the mesangium is the only definitive test. IgA vasculitis is diagnosed based on its characteristic clinical findings of purpura and one or more of glomerulonephritis, arthritis, and or abdominal pain. 
Only in severe cases of nephritis would a renal biopsy be performed, and this is for treatment and prognostic considerations. Lastly, can you outline how IgA nephropathy and IgA vasculitis are managed and discuss their prognosis? In IgA nephropathy, persistent renal disease with proteinuria and or hypertension is treated with angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors or angiotensin-2 receptor blockers to slow progression. Corticosteroids are used in IgA nephropathy if there's a presentation with acute kidney injury and or heavy proteinuria. IgA vasculitis is treated supportively unless there is severe abdominal pain or severe glomelonephritis, in which case corticosteroids are given. And that's all I have for IgA nephropathy and IgA vasculitis. Now let's think back to our patient from the beginning of this episode. Your patient, Bridget, presents with gross hematuria in the setting of a recent acute gastroenteritis. What additional diagnostic testing should be pursued to confirm your suspicions? And what monitoring and treatment is needed to optimize Bridget's kidney function? You suspect Bridget may be presenting with IgA nephropathy based on the concurrent presentation of her gross hematuria with a viral gastroenteritis. To ensure she does not have a severe glomelonephritis, it is important to monitor her blood pressure, quantify her proteinuria, and assess kidney function with a serum creatinine level. If these are all normal or in reassuring ranges, then the next step would be to monitor Bridget over time. If she develops persistent elevation of her blood pressure or urine protein, then this may be a sign she'd benefit from treatment with an ACE inhibitor or angiotensin receptor blocker to slow potential progression of her IgA nephropathy. If her blood pressure, urine protein, and serum creatinine remain normal over time, especially during remissions, then her prognosis is excellent and she will not require any specific treatments. Rather, she will just benefit from ongoing monitoring. And that's all I have for today's audio brick. Thanks for joining me. If you like this episode, give it a thumbs up or a comment. You can enjoy the full brick experience online at www.usmle-rx.com, complete with illustrations, questions, flashcards, and active learning. Stay healthy out there.